I know you're surprised to see me again, huh? Don't worry, there's not like 12 or 13 horn players in the back ready to come out and do another one of those for you, I promise. Um, hey, Scott wanted me to come out real quick before we get going today to introduce some special guests. Uh, Trevor Skalberg, along with his wife Holly, and uh, another special guest, I believe, today. Uh, he's the superintendent for Alliance New England, correct? Uh, and we, we just couldn't be happier to have them. They were here about a year ago. Um, and it's just such a treat to get, have them speak, especially in place of Pastor Scott, who's out on vacation right now. We know he could use a break. So um, once again, let's, let's give them a warm welcome as I welcome him up to the stage. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Holly. Before I uh, share a little bit about myself and, and, and what's going on in the district and get into this message, I'll have the ushers come down. We're going to receive the offering, and so we want to pray for that here this morning. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the freedom and privilege to gather as a church, to fellowship, to come together, but more importantly, to worship you. Um, in this time of gathering, we, we continue to worship, whether it's through song and the word, and, and even now through the giving of our offering and tithes. It's really finances that you've given to us, that you've blessed us with, that we are giving back as a way to worship you. So I ask your blessing on this time and the, the monies put in uh, that are given, and Lord, may you bless this and use it for your ministries through these churches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As they are uh, continuing to pass the, the offering baskets, uh, I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. Uh, as a, We were here a year ago and preached and told a little bit about our, our life and our story then, but uh, maybe you weren't here. And just to kind of fill you in, my wife Holly is uh, with me here, and um, we pastored the last uh, 12 years in Conway, New Hampshire, in Iowa. Before that, in the last year, we've been in this role as the district superintendent. I've also got with me uh, Gary, uh, Gary Smith. Go ahead and stand, Gary. Gary is, uh, he is new to our staff at Alliance New England. He's been with us for two weeks. He's lasted for two weeks. And uh, yeah, you can sit down. We, uh, since we came on a year ago, one of the, one of the initiatives God has placed on our heart was church planting and uh, really just planting the gospel across New England. Uh, God had given me a, a kind of a vision to plant 50 churches over the next 10 years, um, if they vote me in the next time around. Uh, so over, over the next 10 years, 50 churches, and one of the ways to do that in doing that was to bring on a person dedicated to that, uh, to that goal uh, as our church planning director. And so we brought Gary and his wife, Sue, who's not here, um, and we're excited to have them on board and, and really just seeing where God is going to have us take the gospel across New England. So the, the church planting is one aspect. Another aspect we're excited about is uh, we have a residency training program. One of the things we're finding across the board, uh, across the country, not just New England, is we're seeing uh, pastors leave the ministry, less young people going into the ministry, and it's creating a, this vacuum of where, where do we see pastors raising up, being raised up to continue to take the gospel out and pastor churches and so on. And so we, uh, we have a training program, a residency that it's a two-year program that we uh, will put 
ultimately a younger people is where it was originally uh, created for and give them a two-year process and training and education in that uh, to then become a pastor and pastor or youth pastor or one of our pastors in our churches. What we're seeing is God open that door and expanding it and it's going to people uh, later in life um, as well as even a little bit younger, getting them right out of high school. So we're, uh, we're excited about where that's taken us, and uh, just be praying for us in that, whether it's church planting or the residency and everything in between. Um, it's exciting to be here with you, uh, as, as uh, Trevor said. He's got a great name, too, by the way. Um, Trevor, that's a great name. That's my name. And so... Uh, Scott's not here today as he's been on vacation. I believe he gets back soon. And uh, I just got to say, Scott is, has been fun to work with over the last year. He's certainly been one of uh, our greatest supporters, great resource for us, and, and help along the way coming into this role. So uh, you've got a great pastor, and uh, we're just glad to be here with you. Uh, you didn't come to me uh, here this morning to hear me say all these things, so let's, let's get into God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start with verse 1. As you're turning there, and we're going to have a lot of this up on the screen, and I'm going to be kind of telling the story of these scriptures, uh, but as you're turning there, I, I want to ask this question, and the question is this. Because that's kind of the theme of this morning is uh, hearing the voice of God. Have you ever heard the voice of God? Have you heard the audible voice of God speaking to you? And I'm, and I'm not talking to, uh, you know, reading scripture and the Holy Spirit revealing something to you. God, certainly, I think that's the primary way he speaks to us today. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, guiding and directing us, counseling us. Uh, he speaks to us through other people in our circumstances. There, there's many ways in which we see and hear the voice of God. But I ask the question of, have you ever heard the literal voice of God? I don't think it's common. But here's the other question that goes with that. If you heard the voice of God, if God spoke to you and you knew it was God, what would you do? What would you do with what he spoke to you? Would you, would you be obedient to the word of God, the, the, the voice of God? We're going to get to there this morning. If, you're, if you hear that and you say, oh, I can't wait to hear how it is you hear the voice of God, I'm not going to get into all the how-tos, but I'm going to give you at the end of this one main point that I believe positions us to hear the voice of God. Look at the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. It's going to be up here on the screen. It says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So in other words, God spoke to him, and he said, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. If you back up into chapter 17, here's the story is God brought about a famine. He held back rain. And it's caused a lot of problems. It's caused problems in when a famine hits and people get, there's a scarcity of crops and, and, it, and it causes those problems. It also caused problems because King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel knew that it was from God that this famine was there. And over the course of time, she killed many prophets of God. And so we get to the place where now God comes to Elijah and says, okay, it's time. Go to King Ahab and tell him that rain is on its way. I'm going to send rain. 
Now, let me tell you, let me give you a, a summary of 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, some of you probably know this well. For others, maybe it's the first time you've heard this story. It's, it's one that I love, and, I, and there's, some, there's some fascinating parts to this story. But it's Elijah, he comes to King uh, Ahab and he, he tells him rain's coming. They get into this conversation. Uh, it's probably more of an argument. And he finally gets to the place where Elijah says, hey, guess what? My God's bigger than yours. And he says to him, why don't you go ahead and bring your false prophets? He had, uh, Ahab had 450, not just one or two, 450 false prophets of God along with your 400 prophets of Asherah. So that's 850 false prophets. Why don't you bring them to this mountain, Mount Carmel, and let's just see whose God is more powerful. And so he does. He brings them. And so they get there, and they're on Mount Carmel. Elijah says to King Ahab, now take your your 450 prophets. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two bulls, and we're going to sacrifice these bulls. We're going to cut them in half. You're going to make two altars, one for you, one for me. You're going to put your bull on there. And then here's the thing. Your false prophets are going to call down fire from their gods. And if their God consume, if your God, this false God, consumes them, then you know he's all-powerful. But then if my God consumes them, you're going to know he's all-powerful. And so they do that, and, and, and Elijah, my guess is like with a smirk on his face, says, why don't you guys go ahead and go first? Let's just kind of watch this play out. And so he says, go first. And so they cut the bowl up, they put it, build an altar, put it on there, and all day long, the scripture says, they cry out to their false god. They cry out to the, the, the gods of Baal, and they, they, they cry out, and, and they cut themselves, and they go through all these rituals, and Elijah's mocking them. At one point, the New Living Translation says, what, is your God in the bathroom? Is he taking a break? And he mocks them, and finally, the scripture says in 1 Kings 18 that they get to the place, it's later in the day, the time for the, the daily sacrifice, and he says, hey, it's my turn. And so he goes up to his altar, he prepares the bowl, he puts it up there, they pour all kinds of water on it. They don't just stop at one container, they pour all kinds of water on it, what would make it impossible to catch fire. And finally he gets to the place, in the later verses of, uh, in the uh, 30 on, he gets to the place where Elijah calls to God. He calls out to God, he cries out to God and says, God, I've, I've been obedient to you, I've, I'm calling on you to bring fire down from heaven and show them that you're all powerful, and guess what? God does. God shows up and brings fire from heaven, consumes everything on the altar. There's nothing left on that altar. Now, here's the interesting part about Elijah. He had many against him. God had called him, go forth, tell King Ahab, go against all these people. Goes against all these people, and you ask the, you ask the question, well, why would he do that? Why would he evoke them to, to come to that place on the mountain where they're going to do this, and who knows what's going to happen? I'll tell you why. God told him to. Now, now, keep that in mind at the first part of this story. God told him to. He heard from God. And as he heard the voice of God and God said, this is what you're to do, he acted in obedience. And guess what? God brought him through it. God showed up in a mighty, powerful way. Now, we have to look at this story and ask ourselves the same question. If God speaks to me, what am I going to do about it? 
And if God is speaking to me, and often if we look at our Bibles and we, we open them up and we read and God is continuing to speak to us through them, am I going to do what it says? Am I going to be bold for the sake of God? And, and sometimes when I cry out to God and I'm wondering, God, are you going to show up here? I, I believe God will answer. And when he does, just like Elijah, we need to act on that. God probably isn't going to call you to go against a hundred, uh, several hundred false prophets, but he certainly may call you to do something that's out of your comfort zone, to be bold for him. Let's continue on with this story. We will get to the place where we talk about hearing God's voice, but we got to set the stage to get there. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39 through 40. God has just flashed fire down on the altar, and then it says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. Even all these people worshiping false gods, they fell face down, prostrate, and they cried. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. He killed them. We don't know if it was all 850. We know it was the 450 prophets of Baal for sure, because that's what the scripture says. He had them slaughtered. And you look at this story, and it, it seems like things are lining up for Elijah, right? You look at it and it looks like he, he, he listened to God's voice. He was obedient. He went up against these people. He cried out. The Lord brought fire down. He got rid of these false prophets. But he, had just, had, he just had the false prophets of Baal killed. That's the, the prophets, the false prophets of Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab. Now in verse 41, Elijah tells King Ahab, go enjoy a meal I've just killed all your false prophets. Now go enjoy a meal because the rain is coming. And listen to what is said there. And I'm just going to, uh, I won't put it up here. It's several verses. It says, starting with verse 42. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground. He put his face between his knees. I think he's in a posture of prayer. He's in a posture of praying, praying to the Lord because God had said, hey, rain is coming. And then in verse 43, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. It's blue skies. God said rain is coming, but as they look off the top of this mountain, they can't see a cloud in sight. Seven times, Elijah said, go. Go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Skies have been blue. He continues to pray, believing that God is going to bring rain. As, far, as soon as this small cloud forms, he believes God is going to bring a storm. And so he tells Ahab, go, go get your chariot. You need to go before you're stopped by the rain. Meanwhile, the sky grew black and cl uh, with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And then get verse, verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. Now remember at the beginning of this, he heard the Lord's voice. He saw the Lord show up in a powerful way. And now the power of the Lord came on Elijah. And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Remember, this was the original message that he had given him. Go to Ahab, tell him that rain was coming. I'm going to send rain soon. And Elijah is obedient to that. 
And, and, and King Ahab, he prepares this meal. He gets ready for that as Elijah's up on the top of this mountain praying to God to once again do your mighty work in bringing this ring. Elijah had faith. He believed that God would do the impossible. He's already seen God's mighty hand, even when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And then finally, when that cloud shows up, he tells King Ahab, go ahead. Go on before the rain stops you. And then the remarkable, God, God empowers him and he runs ahead of King Ahab's chariot. Now, a lot of times we read over this, but I think it's, I think it's significant to this story. It's symbolic. It's a symbolic act that, that he does with King Ahab. First, know this. It was customary in those times that the, the king would have a servant who was trained to run ahead of the chariot. So as the chariot was going, there would be a servant running on ahead of it. It's believed that Elijah had at one point in time trained to run like this. So this wasn't abnormal as King Ahab would have seen this man run by the chariot and running out ahead. This was a normal act. But the second thing that he did was to show King Ahab that even though he defeated these false prophets and he killed them, he would still, as a prophet of God, remain loyal to him in a time Maybe when King Ahab's heart was softened, as he, as he shows them who the one true God is, and now he's doing a customary thing symbolically of showing uh, that he's still loyal with him towards the one true God. And so the Lord gives him strength, and he runs ahead, and they say it's about 20 miles to Jezreel. Now, this is where the, the, the fireworks really start, because imagine this, when King Ahab gets there in his chariot, he, he pulls up, and he's been gone a day or two or a week, and, and he pulls up there, and there's Jezebel, and he says, honey, I'm home. And she says, well, how's your week been? And he says, well, let me tell you, uh, we no longer have these 450 false prophets. Elijah killed them all. And the scripture was that she's furious, she wasn't happy. In fact, she vowed to kill Elijah. She vowed to kill him. She will, she will have his head on a platter. Now, Elijah had just seen incredible things. I mean, I've never seen God bring down fire from heaven and, 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 and consume everything on an altar. I haven't seen him bring a, a cloud in the sky when he says it's going to rain and, and there, it doesn't look like there's rain and he brings rain or empowering a, a person to run like this. And I haven't seen all those things. And yet, there's a part here I just don't understand. Because in all of that that we see in the scripture of 1 Kings 18, Elijah should be excited. He should be stoked. He should be, he should be trusting God more, the faithfulness of God, that God has protected him, provided for him, that God is showing up with his mighty power. And then you get to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Here's where the story changes. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid. Here's a man that just went up against hundreds of false prophets. And it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. What causes Elijah to go from this mountaintop experience, this incredible experience of trusting God, God's faithfulness, the power of God, to the place of being fearful and maybe not trusting that God's got this? What causes you and I to go from the place where one day, maybe yesterday, we saw God do some mighty work, maybe even a miracle, and yet today a new circumstance arises 
And we come to the place of, I'm not sure God can really do that. I'm not sure God is still in the business of doing that kind of miracle. Is he powerful enough? And, and we succumb to fear and uncertainty the same way that we see with Elijah. So much so that we see him go into this almost depression, this, this bottom, this, this deep, dark pit of depression and, and non-trust. We all do it to some extent. And I've got a theory of why that is. My theory is based around this, because I've, I've watched people do this over my life as being a Christian. See, we can be the, the, the biggest spiritual giant in the world. You can, you can put that person out there that you say, yeah, this is my mentor. This guy is a spiritual giant in my life. And even they fail. And it's because of this. When we take our focus off of him, when we take our focus off of God and it's put on us, and it's put on our circumstances, you will always succumb to fear and uncertainty. We do it over and over. The scriptures give us all kinds of examples of it being done over and over. One such example, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus comes out to his disciples. They're on a boat, and Jesus is walking on water. That's the place where Peter says, hey, let me walk to you, Jesus. And in Matthew 14, 29, he says, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And if you stop there, it would be a great story. But in verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Peter's walking on water, doing something that you just don't naturally do. I'm guessing you probably haven't walked on water. I haven't walked on water. And he's walking on water, but when he takes his eyes off, now whether it's the wind and the waves and the circumstances around him, he begins to sink. It's what we do, it's the reality. When we take our eyes off of the Lord, so we you come back to the place of saying, so what is the key to keeping our eyes on the Lord? What is the key to staying close? And I'll use the words of Jesus in John 15. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says this, I'm the vine, I'm the life-giving vine, you're the branches, stay connected to me, you will bear much fruit. I, we, we don't get the picture of what is all that fruit. And we can go down many roads and say, well, this is the fruit of a Christian and, and this is what it should look like. But I believe one of those fruits that he's talking about, that when we remain in him, is that we will stay connected and we will keep our eyes on him. We will keep our eyes on him no matter what the circumstance. It's a fruit of what that is, means to stay connected. He goes on in verse 7 and 8 to say, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It is God's desire. It brings him great glory. And, and he wants this for you to bear fruit in your life. And again, part of that fruit, I believe, means staying connected. This is profound and yet simple. And yet, I don't know about you, but I struggle with it. I struggle with it. I know what the scripture says. But I gotta tell you, there's days that things come up in life and I come to the place and, 
Because of, uh, of belief and unbelief or in faith, whatever it may be, I come to the place of doing the opposite of what that says at times. We struggle. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 4.13, I can do all, thi- all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who, who strengthens me. I remember being in a, in a place early on in ministry where I had a tough call to make with someone. There was, there was conflict and tension, and it was, probably wasn't going to be a, a real gentle phone call with this individual. And I was getting ready to make that phone call, and, and you'd be surprised at how long I sat there looking at the phone like it was supposed to dial for me. And I got to the place where I finally would just go in, uh, into this scripture, Philippians 4.13, and repeat it over and over I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I had to come to the place where I realized it was God, that God would have to work through me to do what I couldn't do in my flesh. It's a verse that I believe is true and right, but you have to pair it with John fifteen five. We look at that John fifteen five. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Philippians 4.13 and John 15.5 go hand in hand. Let's go back to the story of Elijah. Elijah takes his eyes off God. He puts his focus on himself, and he runs. The scriptures tell us that he runs about 100 miles before he stops. That's a lot of running. And he gets to the place where it appears that he's feeling lonely, depressed. He's tired. He's defeated. And you get to 1 Kings 19, verse 4. said, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. This is the same guy that cried out to God, not that much, uh, not, not many days before this on Mount Carmel. God, I believe that you can bring fire down to show that you're all powerful. And now, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, I'm no better. See, when we start feeling this way, when we start having this this pity party of poor me, and we do, I'm so bad off this, I can tell you, this isn't from God. This isn't isn't something, an emotion that God is giving us so that we can feel this way. Sometime all, sometimes in that, condemnation comes in. And we can know that's not from God because Romans 8, 1 says it's not. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's either from our self-focus of starting to look at ourselves. Maybe it's from Satan trying to trip us up and whispering in our ear. Either way, it's not a good place to be. But there's something we see about the character of God, of how he comes around Elijah and ministers to him. Let's take a look at it. In verse 5 through 8, he says, Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. He's probably tired. He just ran 100 miles. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head were some, baked, uh, some, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. 
So God knew what he needed, and he brought that exactly what he needed. Here's what God does. He shows up, and he shows mercy and grace to a man that in some ways he should have grabbed Elijah. In our flesh, we would think this. Let's shake him, and let's wake him up. But instead, he provides for him. He ministers to him. He shows him mercy and grace. He gives us the, the, the picture, the remedy for, for his depression. Let me give you rest. Let me give you food. Let me give you drink. He starts to provide for those physical needs. God is preparing him because God has more for him. God wants to lift him up out of the ashes. God wants to continue to make him into this new creation. You go to verse 9. He travels that 40 days and 40 nights. He gets there and it says, he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is, a, this is always a fascinating place to me when we see in the scriptures where uh, God asks a question of someone. Or someone is like David in Psalm 51 where he says, oh, search my heart, O oh God. Kind of like, hasn't God already probably done that? And here, we come to the place of God saying to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God knew. But you ever come to the place in your own life, it's like you, you're reading scriptures, you're, you're, you're praying, you're, you feel like you're doing the right thing as a, as a Christian, and yet at some point, as you're feeling like God is leading you in this direction and telling you maybe to do this, do that, I'm obeying his, his word, and we do it, we go there, and we do that, and yet at some place, he says, Trevor, what are you doing here? You ever feel like that? Where you come to the, the, the conclusion that God is asking you, what are you doing here? Not because he didn't know the answer. And for Elijah, not because, uh, not because he, God didn't bring him to this place, but I believe once again, it's because God is trying to minister to him and move him to this place where God wants him to be that knows what's best for him. Just like in our own life, God is always ministering to us and, and teaching us through his spirit, bringing us to the place, because I believe he's got something more for us, something better than what we're experiencing. See, Elijah was at this place, this moment in life, in this cave, because he had a fear. He had a fear of Jezebel. In some ways, he was lifting Jezebel up over the power of God. Not trusting that God could save him from this evil, wicked lady. And the same with us. We go to those places of running because we've taken our focus off of God and seeing, remembering what God has done. Sometimes even after, even as it's fresh on our mind and seeing the, the, the mighty power of God. And when I look at the story of Elijah, he certainly saw something incredible. And so I ask the question, how does that happen or why do we get to the place? Why, do, why does Trevor get to the place where I take my eyes off the Lord or I see him do a mighty thing here, but then I'm fearful or not trusting over here? And I think the answer to that comes in this. I think it's not completely surrendering to God. We sing songs about it. You sang a song here just a minute ago with the, with the worship team the, talking about, I surrender all. My guess is the vast majority of you in this room, we, we sang that with, with our whole being. I surrender all until this happens, right? 
I surrender all. It's easy to surrender all in this room. But what about when we go about life and outside of the walls of the church? Sometimes it's a little harder to come to that place. Look at verse 10. He says, he replied to the Lord, you know, because the Lord says, what are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Can I just say in this, surrendering all to God, putting our focus off on God, isn't dependent upon our circumstances. For, for Elijah, his, his response to the, the circumstances was more of, look, God, I'm, I'm going to be this kind of a self-righteous person. I'm going to worry about what Jezebel is going to do. But it can't be that. It's got to be one of surrender. Either, God, I'm going to surrender all to you, and I'm going to do it out of a, a humble place of saying, I can't do this, but I know you can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that remains in me and I am them will bear much fruit. Apart from that, we can do nothing. So complete surrender. So again, listen to the, the, listen to the heart of the Lord and how he deals with him. But maybe more importantly in this, listen to how, this is where we're gonna start to move in, how, hearing the voice of God. How the Lord speaks to him. Starting with verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, and keep in mind, he's heard the voice of God before, it says, when he heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I don't know if you caught these scriptures or not before I finish that, that section, but at the beginning of this, it said, the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for he's about to pass by, but he stayed in the cave. And the wind and the earthquake and the fire passed by and it wasn't until the gentle voice of God passed by that he finally went out and did what the Lord asked him to do. Then a voice said to him, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's kind of like Peter, you know, with Jesus. You remember with Peter when he, uh, Jesus had resurrected from the dead and he shows back up on the shore that day. Peter's with his buddies, they're out fishing and he finally comes to shore and Jesus ministers to him and three different times he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter said, well, of course you know I love you. And he finally said, you know, he finally said to him, then feed my sheep. It was Jesus' way to minister to him to say, look, I know that you, uh, I know that you betrayed me and said that you disowned me three times. But let me tell you three times and ask you three times that I love, do you love me? And there's a work ahead of you. And just like here, what are you doing, Elijah. See, even with this encounter with God and asking him what he's doing here and then telling him, go out and stand uh, before the, on the mountain, he doesn't do it until he finally hears that gentle whisper. And when he hears the gentle whisper, he finally comes out and stands before the Lord. I think it's kind of like us. When I talk about in the beginning saying, have you heard the voice of God? 
I sometimes look at the world around us and wonder, how is it that we can hear the voice of God when there's so much noise going on? There's so much busyness. There's so much confusion. There's so many things pulling us away from hearing this gentle whisper of God. For Elijah, it's interesting that you got all these loud, obnoxious ways that you know, wind and fire and earthquake and all these obnoxious ways that the Lord used to sound off. And yet, it would take God showing him grace and mercy through this experience, getting to the place of a gentle voice. And when he does, Elijah knows it is him. How is it that the Lord speaks to you today? Like I said before, I think I said at the beginning of this, the primary way I believe that God speaks to us is through his word. But he's given us his spirit. I believe he also can speak to us through a still, calm voice. I want to try something this morning. This is something uh, I really enjoy being on this side of of the pew. Uh, It's one of those things when I hear a pastor say this, I cringe a little because I don't want to do it, but it's a whole nother ball game when I get to do this with you. And that is, I'm going to have you uh, say something to the person next to you. Uh, And hopefully you came with someone that you actually liked this morning. And so this should be a little easier, okay? And so I'm just going to have you, I'm going I'm to say one, two, three, and I'm just going to have you turn to the people next to you, the person next to you, and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Just belt it out as, as well, you don't have to do it as loud as you can, but loud enough that they can hear you, okay? When I say one, two, three, you're going to say, uh, I'm glad you're here this morning, okay? Just something very simple. So are you ready? Okay. Half of you are. Here we go. One, two, three. What are you doing here this morning? So here's, here's the interesting part. Who in here heard what I said while you were saying that? Probably nobody. As you were saying that to each other, it got noisy in here, right? And as it got noisy in here, I just simply said in a nice, gentle, quiet voice, what are you doing here this morning? But there's not a one of you that heard that, or could you have heard it? And that's how life is. I believe God speaks a lot of times to us. Probably in that gentle, quiet voice, but we're not in a place to hear it. That's just, what we just did is just symbolizing the noise and the, 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 the busyness and the clutter of life around us that keeps us from hearing a gentle voice of God. God speaks to Elijah in that gentle whisper. And so you ask the question, what is the key then? We must be ready. I think we must put ourselves in a position, a position to hear from God. We can't always hear God when everything is drowning out his voice. The psalmist says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. It's one that probably many of you know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We use this verse a little different than actually what it was written for. It was was written to literally mean for people to, to quit opposing God, repent and turn to him. That's what it was written for. Quit fear and quit worrying and trust in the Lord. We can still use it the way that we use it. Be still and know that I am God. 
And again, I had you talking a minute ago amongst each other, just that one phrase. It's a little bit noisy and and it brought confusion in the room. And it's hard to hear from God unless we quiet down, unless we're intentional about quieting it down and putting ourselves in a position to hear from God. God usually doesn't yell. Usually doesn't make a lot of noise. He certainly can to get our attention. But so often he speaks in that gentle whisper if we're intentional to hear him. It was a few, uh, many years ago before I came into ministry that it was in the late 90s, God was working on my heart. He was working on my wife and us moving us toward ministry and he would, my wife would resist him much less than I and get to the place where she would hear from the Lord and, and know that we were called to ministry. And, and they would, her and our pastor would come and say, we really feel like the Spirit's saying that you sh- you're called to ministry. And I would say, he hasn't told me that. Pretty sure that he can tell me that if that's the case. And, and he was telling me that. I was just resisting it. And it would be over the course of the next two years of resisting that and pushing back a little bit, that finally, finally, as God was softening my heart and getting me to this place, I would find myself on top of a mountain by myself in Colorado. So in the Rocky Mountains, I'd go out there. I'm actually going out there in a week, and I'll be in the same exact mountain, probably in the same exact place. Nobody else around. And as I was up there, the only thing you could hear was a little bit of wind. And I heard it as clear, as clear as if you were standing next to me saying this audibly. I heard the voice of God. It wasn't anything profound like, oh, you got to tell me what it is. It's, you know, it was simply this. Trevor, you are supposed to be in ministry. That may not sound like much to you, but here's the reality. With the help of the Holy Spirit and the way God had been prompting me, I knew that was the voice of God. And and can I tell you that if you were there, you would have heard, I don't know, but it sounded like an audible voice. And I'm not crazy. So much so that I knew it was God. There was no doubt. I would come back. I would tell my pastor. I would quit my job. I'd give my, my two weeks notice. I would start my education. And I would move into ministry without a doubt, knowing that that was the audible voice from God. Here's what I'm saying that I want to leave you with today. Unless we quiet our, our spirit, unless we are intentional about quieting ourselves and, and our life, it's going to be tough to hear the voice of God. For some of you, it may, it may mean re- removing some clutter in your life. It may mean getting rid of some of that noise so that you can hear from God. Let me end on this. John 15, 5. I am the vine. You're the branches. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. I am the tree. I'm the trunk. You're the branches connected to me. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I just paraphrase that last part a little bit? That fruit can mean many different things, but I do believe part of that fruit is hearing God's voice. And then that last part, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me and, and not letting me speak to you, you're not going to hear my voice. So that's the place that I want to leave you with. I, again, I'm not giving you these, all these different steps. It's simply 
coming to the place of saying and asking you to focus on one thing, quieting your life. I'm not, I'm not telling you to go out and be like a monk and, and find a monastery and, and maybe God leads you there. I don't know. But I am asking this, what needs to quiet down in your life or put yourself in that position so that you can truly hear the voice of God? And maybe hearing the voice is through reading of Scripture. And there has to be an intentional time of doing that and quieting down for that. So as we close, would you just stand with me as I pray? And as I said before, I get the the privilege of asking one more thing of you as you're standing here. Could you just do that? I'm not going to get all charismatic and stuff on you, but if you could just do this, clench your fists like this, just hold them here. Don't, Don't put them up in the air and all that, just right here. And as I'm praying, I'm just simply inviting you This is just symbolic of the things we're holding on to, the clutter, the noise of life. And through my prayer, I'm just going to ask us, if if that's you, just to to release that to the Lord. Because really, it it comes back to that place of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me. But there's a place where God works in conjunction with us. He He doesn't overpower our will. He wants us to align our will with his so that his will can be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And part of that's a releasing, a surrender, saying, God, it's yours. So you pray with me. Father, I pray this morning for each person that's here in these chairs or watching the line. I pray that as we think symbolically of what the things that are keeping us, that we're holding on tightly, that's keeping us from hearing your voice the Father, we would just release them. There's something powerful about just coming to you through your spirit and saying, God, I release this to you. And I believe there's a way that you come in and minister to us. For some, it's setting aside the cell phone. For others, it's social media. For others, it's just putting aside time in the day. For others, it's just being intentional about listening for you in the midst of our day. So Father, whatever that looks like for each individual here, may your spirit reveal that to them. And as they release this to you, Lord, may your Holy Spirit empower them to live in the freedom of that intentionality so that they too can hear your voice and then act upon that. So Father, we just thank you for the story of Elijah and your son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that you continue to give to us to guide us in our everyday life. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just pray that you go from here blessed and have a, and have a great day.